Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. You're listening to Lev on Soho Radio. Welcome along to Women in Jazz. In today's show, I'm going to be bringing you some new bits, some older bits, some stuff from Haters Coyote, Terry Callier, Green Tangerines. And you might remember from last month's show, I briefly mentioned a report that had just been released discussing gender imbalance within the jazz community. In today's show, I am going to be speaking to Echo Juliet, otherwise known as Emily Jones, who actually helped to compile that report. Joining me for the rest of the show today is DJ, producer, presenter and festival programmer Echo Juliet, otherwise known as Emily Jones. As I mentioned earlier, Emily worked in collaboration with Dr Sarah Rain to produce this report on gender imbalance within the jazz community. Today, I'm going to pick Emily's brains about the report and about gender disparity within the music industry, as it's a conversation which is happening more often now, but needs to be had outside of Women's History Month and needs to be turned into action. Emily, hello. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the report you worked on with Dr. Sarah Rain is based around the Key Change Pledge, which Cheltenham Jazz Festival signed up to. And that's a festival you've been working with behind the scenes for years now. What exactly is the Key Change Pledge? Uh, yeah, so the Key Change Pledge is something that um, PRS Foundation created back in 2017, I think, which is basically originally was a pledge to reach a 50-50 gender balance by 2022 within like festival lineups. The pledge is kind of changed and evolved a bit since then because of the you know the idea that that 50 50 excludes anyone who's non-binary or or potentially like trans people so it's changed a bit since then but that's originally what it was and what hundreds of festivals around the around the world really signed up for yeah why do you think it's important for festivals to commit to these diversity pledges i think i think the whole idea behind the key change pledge and the reason it's important is about visibility um the idea that even if there's just one woman on a stage that is going to inspire other women in the audience, young women to think, hey, I could be doing that rather than just looking at a stage full of men and thinking, well, I guess that's not a space for me because there's no one there who looks like me. It's the kind of, you know, you can't be what you can't see sort of idea. Um, And I guess, you know, with enough festivals doing it, you kind of normalise the idea of having women within those festivals and and on those stages. Um, And hopefully that would lead to sort of further change and kind of, over time over a really long period grow the number of women that are studying jazz or you know studying to be musicians and tech like going on to do performance careers yeah 100 percent. it's not going to change things overnight but it's the start of something and it's the start of having more representation in the scene what was your role in the research and how was it conducted so um basically when we signed up to the the key change pledge as a festival at cheltenham jazz festival um 
I, at the time, was having lots of conversations with the head of the jazz research group at Birmingham City University, which was like one of our partners. Um, And I mentioned to him that we'd signed up to this and I was kind of interested in sort of like digging a bit deeper in it, into it and what, you know, how how effective it was. And he thought that was a really interesting research project and said, actually, I've got the perfect person to do it, which is um, Dr. Sarah Rain, as you mentioned earlier. And they managed to go and get some funding specifically for research projects that partner academics with industry um so so sarah went away and kind of came up with a plan for a 10-month project which involved things like uh interviewing lots of female artists from the festival lineup uh, so she did 10 anonymous interviews which are really fascinating part of the the report actually and then she also gathered lots of data about well she actually went back through all 20 odd years of the festival's history and calculated the percentages of men and women that have been performing over like 20 years uh, which was a pretty massive job and then she collected data from other festivals so we also had Manchester Jazz Festival, Glasgow Jazz Festival and Hull Jazz Festival as partners and then she also gathered data on other things like who's teaching jazz at degree level sort of in conservatoires and also some data on how women jazz musicians are represented in the media as well so it's kind of kind of touching on a few different areas because it's a massive topic like you could spend years <laughs> working on something like this. It's it's absolutely vast and it kind of, because it's like a societal issue, it touches on every aspect of our lives and everything that happens in our day-to-day life influences the experiences of those women as musicians, as jazz musicians as well. So we kind of touched on sort of certain areas and then I sort of uh, worked with her, had lots of conversations with her about lots of those areas, introduced her to some of our partners and then sort of wrote several bits of the report as well, kind of offering my perspective, I suppose. That's why I think this report is is very interesting because it brings up a lot of issues that people might not have considered before and it's also really important in that way. So if we get on to discussing some of the findings of the report, obviously you've got the stats, 90% of them experience gender discrimination and 30% of the women experience sexual harassment. What do you think about them? I mean, particularly the 90% experiencing discrimination is in a lot of ways not surprising. I think a lot of women would probably not find that very surprising, especially in light of all the conversations in the last few weeks about how much women are, you know, catcalled and harassed on the street. So it's probably not surprising, but it's still, we still need to make sure we are shocked by it because it's not right. <laughs> like it's easy to just be like, oh yeah, I know that. And I know the music industry is sexist and I know that women, you know, there are so few women playing jazz that it's not surprising that happens but it's still not right and then particularly the sexual harassment stat I was actually quite shocked by you know having worked in in jazz and in music for quite a long time you kind of get a sense that kind of thing happens but for it to be happening to 30% of women is is high so I, yeah I was quite quite shocked by that I think it shows us about attitudes if you had the attitude of oh well that's just the way it is then nothing will ever change and we can't we can't have that attitude anymore I think that's why doing this kind of research is important because when you see it in cold hard facts on paper you're like oh yeah that's a problem and, you know it makes you realize how many people are not talking to you about it yeah because when I was reading their report a lot of women had said they hadn't spoken about these issues before yeah exactly yeah it, which is you know why is that <laughs> why are we not talking about this stuff I think in general as women there are a lot of things that happen that you kind of you're either told when you're growing up that's just how it is or you just kind of accept and get on with it and actually these kind of this kind of research and these kind of conversations help you revisit things that have happened to you it certainly happened to me from having some of these conversations and seeing people share their stories off the back of this research that I'm like oh actually yeah that happened to me that's really not good and I just at the time laughed it off or kind of moved on and yeah it's really important to revisit those things and you know make sure they don't happen again definitely and the more outspoken women are about these topics the better and hopefully this report will make 
people feel more comfortable talking about this topic. There are a lot of findings that came up in this report and we won't have time to talk about them all. But I'd just like to discuss a few. One of them, which came up, which is quite a big one, was that there are a lot of barriers in education with jazz. Could you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I think there's so many different layers to this problem. I think the kind of barriers at like conservatoire level, like really specialist high level training as a jazz musician are huge. Actually, there are so few women studying and there are also so few women teaching. I think one of the stats from the report is like 11% of full-time teaching staff on jazz courses are women, uh, which is tiny. So there are just no role models for those women. No, no one sort of, you know, that they can actually talk to, that can act as mentors sort of saying hey, you can do this, look, I'm doing it, which is in itself a problem. I think that as a result of there being so few women studying, you get massively male-dominated environments within the course. I mean, the conservatoire that we worked with in Cheltenham, I think at the moment there's like one female student out of about 70 people studying jazz. It could be really tough, I think, for women studying in that environment. There's also the conversation that Tina Edwards has raised recently about um, what's actually being taught and how there's so much of the syllabus that's being taught is male artists. So there's a whole bunch of different issues there. When you challenge some of these institutions about why there are so few women studying on their courses, they just say, well, they're not applying or the ones that are applying are not good enough. There's also something that happens in sort of secondary school age where you see a lot of girls who might have been studying or playing jazz in like school groups and stuff gradually just dropping away and not choosing to pursue it or not choosing to go and play in like their you know local county jazz orchestras or whatever. And I think a lot of that's a confidence issue. Lots of conversations have been had around the kind of the competitive nature of jam sessions, which is, you know, a problem that's really specific to jazz and the sort of grandstanding that happens. Who can play faster and louder and higher? And very often women just don't feel comfortable throwing themselves into those situations and they'll kind of like hang by the sidelines rather than step up and actually play and show what they can do and that that whole environment can be really off-putting to even pursuing it in the first place because it's sort of like well if I can't do that then I must be no good I could I could go on about that for hours (laughs) there's so many different issues it's just yeah really tricky I think a lot could be done in terms of making space for women who want to make improvised music and creative music in their own way that's not necessarily in that tradition that's like kind of competitive soloing there's room to welcome women into those courses to still be creative and improvise and make music that is rooted in jazz without having to follow that tradition. Yeah, 100%. Touching back on when you mentioned Tina Edwards and the research she's been doing lately about the syllabuses, do you think there is a problem with jazz having quite a gendered history towards men? I was reading some of her research and how a lot of the syllabuses would have someone like Billie Holiday or Nina Simone and just one vocalist and be done with it. Do you think that women need to be shown across all levels within jazz, within history? Yeah, 100%. There's so much research as well that's already been been done kind of like from an academic perspective around the lack of presence of women in the history books, even just the way that the jazz greats are written about and talked about they're all men unless they're a vocalist (laughs) and yeah you know I'm sure that's got something to do with the fact that most of the women that you do see performing at jazz festivals are vocalists so I think there is a a challenge there and it's something that I see like women in jazz doing actually on social media is like uncovering those female instrumentalists who've not had the coverage and and, um, sort of not been talked about enough which is a really really important thing I think in terms of providing role models I think it is 
slowly changing like when you look at all the artists that have come through from from london in the last couple of years the likes of like nubaya garcia emma jean thackeray there's no shortage of women <laughs> in that in that scene and they are i'm sure inspiring thousands of young women to want to go and study jazz and become jazz musicians so i think we are changing it but we've got like <laughs> five to ten years of good work against like 60 to 70 years of entirely male dominated history so yeah somehow we need to counterbalance that another thing that came up as well was invisibility in the media which i think you touched on what role do jazz publications have to play in the fight for equality within jazz i mean i think it's very similar to the responsibility the festivals have really it's like providing a platform for those uh, women artists and making them visible i think one of the stats in the report was around uh, jazzwise magazine which is actually the one of the media partners of cheltenham jazz festival i think sarah counted back through five years worth of their issues it's a monthly magazine and less than 10 percent of those issues had a woman on the cover it was 111 magazines with men on and 12 with women on which is also quite shocking and actually the response from the, from the editor of the magazine in the report said they have been making changes and i'm sure they have but it's kind of only in relatively recent times so there's still quite a lot of work to do there but yeah i think the other challenge which they will you know use in their defense and which many festivals do as well is that there's not enough women at that level that just to justify a front cover or a headline slot so i think there's something that all of us can be doing to help those women build their careers to that stage because otherwise it's never going to change you hear, hear the same thing with like talked about like glastonbury and reading and leeds and the bookers and agents are all like well there aren't enough women that are famous enough you're the guys that make them famous so <laughs> maybe you could help <laughs> I think what that highlights for me is that we need to make sure these conversations are being had with the people who need to have them. So how do you think we can make sure that these conversations are being had across all levels within the jazz community and with the right people? I mean, it's amazing how many conversations this research has started alone, actually. It seems to have sparked quite a big conversation in the Scottish jazz scene, particularly, which is quite interesting among all musicians there, because I think the gender imbalance is particularly like bad there. But I think aside from that, something that I was doing when I was working at Cheltenham was in the process of doing the research, having conversations with all of our partners. And even when I was meeting agents, um, booking agents, um, to talk about who they might pitch for us to book the following year i'd say and tell me about the women on your roster <laughs> because because we've you know we're looking to to have a 50 50 lineup so so i want to hear about that and it was some really awkward conversations <laughs> with some of them being like um well there's this woman who plays the cello that plays with one of my artists i don't actually represent her but maybe there's her and it's like that's all you've got to offer is someone who you don't even represent <laughs> like and i think the more you can put people on the spot like that the more it will hopefully get them thinking about it and talking about it. I think the Key Change Pledge has been quite instrumental in raising awareness about it because now it's not just for festivals. Booking agencies can sign up. Orchestras can you know, sign up. Like It can be applied in lots of different ways. A key thing is just having those conversations with all, with all the people that you're working with. Even if they're going to be awkward conversations, at least just starting that conversation. And then also for people who are choosing artists and you know curating lineups or booking agents taking on artists, looking outside of the normal routes where you might discover new talent is really important because if we acknowledge that the industry is pre-selecting a lot of these artists that are kind of going on to get these slots and, and you acknowledge that the industry is very male dominated in itself then it's not really surprising that you're just getting loads more men coming through so 
trying to kind of step around <laughs> that mechanism and find your own way of discovering women artists, like asking asking other women, <laughs> asking female musicians, stuff like that. More of a grassroots approach, I think we can can start to start to get those conversations happening more, I guess. No, I definitely agree. What do you think are some of the long-term solutions for addressing gender imbalance within jazz? I think it's just a, it's a combination of lots of things we've just talked about, really. I think we need more women in positions of power, in decision-making positions, which actually in jazz festivals has happened or is happening. I was asked to go on uh, Women's Hour a couple of years ago uh, as part of a piece about how there were more women leading jazz festivals and we managed to list like I think it was like eight or nine of major festivals that were being curated by women so I think that kind of thing is really important because even you know a lot of the booking agents are still men etc etc so I think having more women in in those sort of decision making positions and having lots of these conversations and having it talked about in the media so that the expectations of the public change I think that's also the other pressure that will make make things change because there's a financial pressure that the public can apply you know for, for like publicly funded organizations people who get arts council funding that pressure is already there because the funders are saying why are you not doing this but for the more commercial side of the music industry the pressure's got to come from the audience so i think yeah anything that mainstreams those conversations will have a, a long-term impact and then i think in my opinion there needs to be a massive overhaul of the way that education around jazz is delivered not saying that like conservatoires don't have a purpose and don't have a place but there are so many challenges within that system both for women and in the stuff that's taught and the way the courses are shaped and in the environment that it creates it creates like a kind of hot house sort of situation which you know if you struggle with your mental health is really difficult there's just so many factors about it that are problematic i don't have a better <laughs> i have some ideas but i don't have a complete solution for that unfortunately i guess there isn't there are just loads of smaller things that we can be doing that can be happening it's all something that will happen over time but like you said like warming more women behind the scenes is something that's very very key yeah yeah because also when you've got more women behind the scenes uh, like every woman i know who's involved with this is impatient for change and will like force <laughs> force some change um and i think that's why we've seen even the step forward that's happened with with key change like it's because people are impatient and they want they want this change to happen which is really positive that's how things improve otherwise we you know we could be waiting another 40 years and i won't be around to be working in it then so yeah yeah it needs to inspire the younger generations i guess to yeah exactly yeah do something um what did you learn from the whole experience and the whole report i learn actually the importance of taking a step back and having an outsider provide a kind of unbiased opinion on what you're doing that was really interesting experience for me in terms of like being involved with some research when Sarah she wrote a chapter for a book actually which was the first thing she did before she wrote the report it was kind of like a sort of step towards writing the full report I guess and when she first sent it to me to read genuinely my heart was in my mouth <laughs> I was like really scared about what she was going to write <laughs> Because, you, you know, if you want honest opinions, that's the way to do it. And I think that's actually a really valuable thing for anyone to do, like, is to get an outsider to tell you honestly what they think about what you're doing. You might think you are doing good stuff and work, you know, helping the cause for equality, but there might be things that you've overlooked and not realised or, you know, just words that you've used without thinking that are not very inclusive so yeah that that was a really interesting thing and i guess i've also learned now that the report has finally come out the impact that this kind of work can have and the conversations it can start has been really inspiring it makes me want to do more of these kind of projects and also actually do something about it i think the report really has sparked a huge conversation which just now needs to be 
carried on and turned into action, I guess. 100%. Well, thank you, Emily, for joining me today. Just to close the show, earlier on I asked you to choose one track that inspires you from a woman in jazz. What track did you go for? Ah, yeah, so... I went for a track by Esperanza Spaulding, who was like a bit of a revelation to me when she came on the scene because it was like she's a woman who plays double bass and she sings at the same time and she's incredibly talented and she's like blending genres. Yeah, I yeah, I was blown away when I first sort of heard about her, which was would have been like like seven or eight years ago now. But I picked a track of hers from not her most recent album, but the one before. The album's called Emily's D and Evolution. And I haven't picked it because my name is Emily. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but that is one reason why I like it. Uh, and the track that I went for, Funk the Fear, because that seems kind of appropriate. I'd like to say a huge thank you to everyone who tuned in today and especially to my guest, Echo Juliet. Don't forget to check out our social pages, women in underscore jazz on Twitter and Instagram, where you can stay up to date with everything that women in jazz are currently doing. Lou and Nina are currently on the look for new participants for their Amplify program. If you're interested in getting involved with the Amplify program, email us info at womeninjazz.co.uk for more information. See you next month.